Next on Abounding Grace, we're talking about the real change God wants to produce in our lives. This is amazing grace. You can probably look back on your life and think of quite a number of things that you did in the past that you now regret. Maybe it was using drugs, hanging out with the wrong people, or lying to someone. But God wants us to take it one step further and move from regret to repentance, which is turning from the sin to Christ. Otherwise, we'll just do it again and again, and it can be a vicious cycle. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll make a return visit to 2 Corinthians 7 as Pastor Ed Taylor shows us how God wants to change us from the inside out. Wouldn't you agree it's not easy to deliver difficult news? Wouldn't you rather someone else deliver it? It's the old good news and bad news. Wouldn't you just like to deliver good news? Wouldn't you just like to say nice things? I mean, if you could avoid the rest of your life to not have a confrontation with another human being, wouldn't you choose that? I mean, when you just choose that route, I, I, I don't want to say what's hard. I, I don't want to share what's hard. I'd, I'd rather not be the one to deliver difficult news. Yet the reality is, is that often God would require of us to deliver difficult news. Sometimes we might describe that as having to tell someone the truth. In love, covered in love, patience and goodness, but someone's got to deliver the difficult news. Someone's got to give the message. Paul would be in that place with his friends, and I believe he had many friends in the church in Corinth. He would be in that place where he would have to deliver difficult news. He would have to risk relationships for the sake of the truth. He would have to risk people being upset with him and misunderstanding him. He would have to risk in order to obey God Men and women in the church where he planted, where God used him to plant, and he spent 18 months of his life in that city, discipling and growing and and just fully dedicated to the work of the ministry, he would have to risk people being resentful toward him. He would have to risk bitterness to well up in their hearts. He would have to risk people turning on him and going against him, and he would have to face harshness and cruelty. And it's for those very reasons, isn't it, that... Delivering difficult news is sometimes delayed or avoided altogether. But I'm encouraged by Paul because you could sense his love through this letter. Remember, 2 Corinthians is the most pastoral letter of all Paul's letters. It, 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 could, be, it could be a letter where you, we, we were learning with the kids, um, with all of my kids, from Eddie, Josh, Caitlin, all of them. We picked up these little cards from a ministry called Walk or talk through the Bible, walk through the Bible ministry. And they were these little cards with cartoons on them, New Testament and Old Testament. They, they associated a picture with each book of the Bible. And in the picture, not only would it tell you the name of the Bible, but it would also tell you the theme of that Bible book. 
and it would walk you through so we would flashcard those every night before we go to bed we'd learn the books of the bible and we'd also learn the themes of the bible and for second corinthians i remember the picture it was a picture of an apostle with an x-ray machine in front of him and the the idea behind it was it was second corinthians and it was the anatomy of an apostle that was the theme it was a x-ray of the heart of this apostle it was the letter no other letters had pictures like that like for galatians it was a picture of a big seagull with a uh, some kind of thing um, tied to it uh, like a like handcuffs it was a handcuffed seagull and the goal the seagull was to remind you of galatians and it was bondage it was to be broken from bondage because that's what galatians is all about so that i had these little cards and i and as i was going through this study i remembered the picture this is the picture of Paul the Apostle, if you ever wanted to know the heart of, of a man, if you ever wanted to know the heart of this particular man, 2 Corinthians is the book that you want to study. He really lays it out there. He, he's begging, he's pleading, he's reminding, he, he's asserting his love for them. Because you'll recall they came against him. Somebody came in and influenced, there was many, many false teachers that came in and influenced the people against Paul railed all kinds of false accusations against him and just for sake of review pick up with me back in verse 2 of chapter 7 and we'll just kind of work our way through just a real quick review of of our time in the word in this chapter so we can tie it all up today he says open your hearts to us we've wronged no one we've corrupted no one and we've defrauded no one all accusations that were made against him I do not say this to condemn, for I've said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. I mean, even in the midst of tribulation and difficulty in Paul's personal life, they were still coming against him, still railing accusations against him. For indeed, verse 5, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, and inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told you of the earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. The reason why he was so encouraged is because true repentance came through the church. Real repentance. There was sin in the church, and in Paul's first letter, he had to write an even harder letter more difficult to pinpoint the issues that were unrepentant serious issues in the leadership serious issues in the church it was a mess the corinthian church they had come out of the world but they brought the world with them and now the church looks like the world and the world doesn't you know there's no distinction and paul said no 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 and he started as we studied this verse by verse he just started pointing out each of the areas this you need this watch this change this watch this this guy you can't you can't glory in his sin you need to deal with it you need to bring him to repentance and if he won't repent then he can no longer be in fellowship and we study what church discipline looks like and how important it is to keep the purity within the church and he started 
Well, like all of us that have to deliver difficult news, he started to second-guess himself. It was rough. He says here in verse 8, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I mean, it was hard. It's never easy to deliver even good, even difficult news, even though you have to. It doesn't make it any easier just because it's the truth. You know, just because it, it needs to be delivered, just because it's even helpful when it comes to delivering difficult news when, it, when it's tied up in sin. He says, I don't regret it, but I did. I second-guessed myself. I wasn't sure. I don't know if you were going to receive it. I really wish I didn't have to. And he says in verse 8, For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry only for a little while. Now, verse 9, I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted. But sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Therefore, verse 12, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Wow. All the emotion that came from his letter. There was much sorrow, you notice? It made him sad. Reading the letter evoked an emotion that was sorrowful and difficult. And Paul sums it up in verse 12. He says, you know, I wrote it to you not just for the guy caught up in sin and not just for the guy that wronged, but for the sake of the glory of God, for the glory of God within the church. It's not just for you that's caught up in sin to stop. And it's not just for the person that's being offended to stop hurting or be offended. It's to, it's to that, to reconcile, because the heart of God is to reconcile. But it's not primarily for the people involved. He wanted them to know that he cares spiritually. And so he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we learned that the main reason that removed Paul's regret over sending a difficult letter is that God used it to bring about a true godly sorrow. That encouraged him. A sorrow that led to real spiritual change. We, we would use the Bible word for true spiritual change. The Bible word for that is repentance. We use all these Bible words and we need to always clarify. Say repentance. Well, what does that mean? It means to truly change from the inside. A change of direction. It's one thing to be sorry and sad about sin. We see this distinction here in verse 9. I rejoice that you were made sorry. I'm not just rejoicing that you had an emotional response that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance because you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss for us in nothing. And here's the two distinctions that, that I want to leave you with today as we finish up the chapter. This is where Paul is. There's a significant difference, if you're taking notes, between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. There's a significant difference between godly sorrow and just human sorrow. And we're going to lay that out for you so that you and I can be reminded of the difference. It, it won't be new to you. 
you'll understand it as we go through. It's, it's not anything that's, that's just huge and brand new and new revelation from God. It's very simple. There's a difference with just being sorry and allowing the emotion of being sorry to lead to tremendous change. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And you want to watch, you want to watch out for them. One is rooted in the Lord and is spiritual, and one is rooted in the humanity and is fleshly or human, human sorrow. Worldly sorrow tends to hover around the immediate. Worldly sorrow. I'm sure that if we survey those that are in jail right now, and maybe even some listening in on the radio that are incarcerated, and we ask them, you know, if you could do it all over again, would you do it? No. I bet you feel really bad that you did it. I'm I'm sorry that I did it. And you'll get a lot of that. I'm sorry that I did it. I'm sorry that I committed the crime. I'm sorry that I sold those drugs. I'm sorry that I ripped that car off. I'm sorry. The difficulty is, is that they're communicating to us at the base level that they're sorry for their actions. They're sorry that they did something. They're sorry perhaps that they're incarcerated. Sorry that they got caught. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, I wish I didn't do it. I'm sorry about it. It's a great beginning. It's a great beginning. I'm glad that there's some kind of emotion. I'm glad that even before the judge, it can be expressed to them, to the judge. I'm sorry, judge. If I could do it over again, I wouldn't do it. That's a great beginning. But if left there, it's going to lead. It's going to lead where the Bible says it's going to produce death. Because if that sorrow stays there in the human realm and in the immediate, and if all that you're sorry about is what you did, and and you wish you didn't do it, and you wish you didn't get caught, and you wish, if if that's all the sorrow that you have, that's all the sorrow in anything that you do, you don't have to be in jail for that. You know, even sin in our lives can put you in a prison. You don't have to be behind walls or bars. You could be in the prison of bitterness or anger. You can be in the prison of addiction. Sin can do a lot of things. You don't have to be in the walls of a prison physically or a jail. And if you look at your life and you just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you're only sorry for the actions and you're only sorry for the way it went and you're only sorry for the consequences. You're only, that's worldly sorrow and it's going to produce death. Because if you don't allow that sorrow to dig deep and reveal to you how you've sinned against the heart of God, how I've broken God's heart, then when I get out of jail, when I get through the trial, guess what I'm going to do? The same thing. Because the sorry is going to wear off. <laughs> And it hasn't done the work of the Spirit in your heart to bring about a true change. You haven't changed. You're just sorry. You're just sorry. And even on that human plane, it's one of the reasons why, as our children were growing up, that we tried to minimize the phrase, I'm sorry. And we tried to maximize or encourage them to say, will you forgive me for, and then lay it out. Not just say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, okay, guys, you need to apologize. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're, no, you need to express. When you, say, when, you, when you say a phrase, will you forgive me for, not only are you putting yourself in the place of humility, but you're identifying the sin by which you committed. It helps to really pull out. It, it, I know, I'm sorry. I don't want to be all, you know, argue over semantics, because certainly I'm sorry can be very valid and very spiritual. But it can also be very hazy. And it can also lead to uncertainty. What are you sorry for exactly? Oh, I'm just sorry. For what? Well, 
I'm just sorry. Just take it or leave it. You know, sometimes you do just need to take it. But the person that's saying that for you or me, I mean, if we're just in the human realm, it's not going to change you. It's not going to produce in you what God truly wants to produce, and that's real change. While worldly sorrow focuses on the immediate, godly sorrow focuses on the spiritual or on the big spiritual picture from God's perspective. Godly sorrow involves many of the same feelings as worldly sorrow, and yet it brings about a true cutting to the heart where you realize the depth of the sin that was committed and the pain that has been created and your heart is broken because you've sinned against God and you've sinned against your neighbor and you don't want that for your life anymore. It's godly sorrow. Notice godly, verse 10, you might want to mark it, godly sorrow produces repentance. That's what comes from true God. Have you been repentant in your life before? It's probably come because of some deep godly sorrow in your life. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is what brings you to godly sorrow. I can't talk you into it. I can't argue into it. I can't reason with you or logical, logically help you understand all the values of God. The Spirit of God will bring great conviction in your heart to bring you to a place of godly sorrow and thus repentance unto salvation. When you are and I are captivated by godly sorrow, I realize that I've sinned against God. And I realize that I've done the wrong things. I recognize that I've hurt people and that I've been living selfishly. I've realized and come to the understanding. I mean, you can see if you just go one one after another, it's overwhelming. How can we not be sorrowful when we see the result of our actions? And not only that, we begin to see how we've been inconsiderate of the needs of others. How we have not, like the Bible says, esteemed others above ourselves. I begin to, to, to... sorrow over the violent, wicked, evil things that are in my heart. That even when somebody, you know, you're trying to reconcile, even when somebody says, no, no, it's not that bad, you know it was that bad. You don't need anybody to tell you because the Spirit of God has shown you, shown you your own heart. You remember you've been praying Psalm 139? You remember that? That's a prayer in your heart. Lord, search me and know me. And reveal in me if there's any unclean thing. Remember that prayer? You've been praying that lately? God might just answer it. Hey, here it is. And the result of that answer is not, hey, things are good because you're abiding in me. It could be things are really, really bad. And look at your despicable heart. Not in a condemning way. God certainly isn't condemning you. You asked for it. And he gave it to you. And you know what the next part of the prayer is? Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in the truth, some translations. Lead me. Show me where I'm at. Break me. And then lead me in the right way. It's powerful. It'll lead you to godly sorrow. It's not a guilt trip that the world gives. Or that some might give and lay you on some guilt trip and try to, you know, the, the, the idea of guilt tripping is just try to, to somehow humanly bring about godly sorrow and it's impossible. This is only a work of the Spirit. 
That's what Paul's telling them. You know, you're, you sorrowed, but not just in a sorrow, not just a worldly, not just the sorrow of the world. You guys, you guys let the word of God break through all of the barriers you built up and get to the heart of the matter, and you shouldn't regret this. Don't regret it. It's painful and it's hard, but don't regret it. It's from the Lord. You're going to be a stronger person as a result of it. You're going to be a changed person. It's a time of growth. You know why? Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know who can know it? God. We don't even know our own hearts sometimes. And God's able to reveal it to us. Not with a guilt trip, but with an answer to prayer. God is able to lift us up and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this is, remember that the church of Jesus Christ, no matter what church you're a part of, every small body of believers like us is a part of the larger church of Jesus Christ. We're the household of God. This, this, the, the body of believers belongs to the Lord. And you know, in his house, he just doesn't let things slide. When, when the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins, the way that happens is not just God blinking his eye at sin, but he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. A sinless sacrifice so that he himself would take the full weight and penalty for your sin and mine. So when you think of love covering a multitude of sins, it's not like anybody's getting away with anything. Jesus took upon himself your sin and mine. The disgusting, horrible hair, just everything about, he took that upon himself so that we might experience his love. The Lord doesn't condone sin. He doesn't condone worldliness or worldly behavior. He wants to bring about true godly repentance. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. It's part of our series in 2 Corinthians and can be heard online at calvaryco.church. Pastor Ed, today you were talking about repentance. And as you know, that's rarely being talked about these days or even addressed from the pulpits all across America. Why do you think that is? Well, repentance, the doctrine of repentance, the doctrine of changing your ways, of turning and going in the opposite direction of forsaking sin is an uncomfortable topic. And because many pulpits and pastors are very much focused on comfort and ease, repentance isn't a big topic because it makes people upset. It it disrupts people. It causes them to really consider their own life. And, you know, the, the bottom line is that in sin, we like our sin, and we don't like people telling us that we're in sin or that we have to change. And it's just unfortunate. I think a lack of understanding the fear of the Lord, a lack of true abiding by the leaders of the church, and a lack of loving others. Not talking about repentance is not expressing love to a person. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And repentance is foundational. Listen, if you're, if you're listening to me right now, and you have never turned away, you have not repented of your sin, your sin against a holy and a righteous God, God is calling you to repentance today. He's, he is calling you and commanding you, everyone that's listening to my voice, God is commanding you to turn away from your sin and to submit your life to him today. So please do that, would you? Surrender. And then pray for pastors and leaders. As you're driving through town, 
your own pastor or leader, your own leadership in your church, that we might be faithful to God's Word. Because faithfulness to God's Word will, will mean that repentance is a common topic. And may we continually live in repentance until we meet Him face to face. Amen. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Thank you for your support of Abounding Grace. It does make a difference. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners of how God is using the Word of God to help them grow by God's abounding grace. And when you support this ministry today with the gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you Contented in All Things, Peace by Jeff Guype. Maybe you've noticed many Americans today lack true contentment. No matter how much they have, they're always wanting more, bigger, better. But that doesn't have to be the case for you. And in Contented, Pastor Jeff Guype helps the reader find peace in all things and get on the path to contentment in Christ. Here's where to reach us, 877-30-GRACE, or turn to calvaryco.church on the web. That's 877-30-GRACE and calvaryco.church. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Corinthians next time on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 